listen to the Word of God, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark chapter 1, I'll begin reading in verse 21. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to the evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let, them, let the demons speak because they knew who he was. This is the word of God, the gospel of God. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we rejoice in the announcement of good news that comes to us in your word. And Lord, I pray that you would let us hear this good news today. Lord, that you would give us hope as we listen to your word as it is applied to our lives. Lord, we pray this morning for the ministry of Hope Presbyterian Church. Lord, we thank you for the call that you have placed on will and grace, calling them to yourself as your son and daughter, but, but more than that, Lord, the call that you have placed on them to take the gospel of hope into Garnet Valley and Chad's Ford. Lord, we thank you for the encouragement that they have been to us, and Lord, continue to use us as a church to encourage them. Lord, let members here from faith go as members of the core group. Lord, let us continue to support them in prayer and in giving so that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of what you have accomplished for us, would be proclaimed to our neighbors, our neighbors in, in Garnet Valley and Chad's Ford. Lord, let the gospel establish this church so that they may proclaim the hope of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we come this morning needing your hope, asking for you to provide us with comfort as a city in mourning. Lord, we pray for the Wilmington Fire Department today. Lord, we pray for the families of the firefighters who lost their lives, who gave their lives this weekend. Lord, we pray for the family of Lieutenant Chris Leach and Firefighter Jerry Fickus. Lord, as they, in the line of duty, showed us what love looks like by being willing to lay down their lives in the rescue of others. And so, Lord, I pray that your gospel would bring hope to our city, that you would provide comfort to these families, that you would provide comfort to the police department. Lord, we thank you for their work as first responders, their willingness to risk their own lives for the sake of our community. And Lord, we pray that you would use our church and gospel-preaching churches in our city to proclaim the hope of the gospel, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, the life everlasting. Lord, may our hope be found in Jesus alone. And so we ask that that would be true of each one of us today. 
that we would trust in Jesus alone, that your word would show us his power, his love, his compassion for us. So, Father in heaven, we come praying in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you ever wonder where the name of the game Simon Says comes from? You know, the game when you give a six-year-old absolute authority where he can or she can tell his or her classmates whatever they want to do. And if they say Simon Says, then the class has to jump on one foot. And they're trying to trick the classmates into to failing. Did you ever wonder where the name Simon Says came from? Why well, I, I hadn't either until I heard a, a news report this week, one of those offbeat news items. And it, it traced the, the story of why Simon back to uh, an incident in, in English history. Now, actually, it recognized that, that the, a game like this is played in cultures all over the world, and so it, it, it has probably many origins. But the, the name Simon perhaps comes from Simon de Montfort. He was the Earl of Leicester in the 1200s. And he, in wanting to, to make the king of England do what he'd promised to do, gathered together noblemen. And he was a nobleman himself. He was married to the, the king's sister. And so he gathered noblemen to force the king to, to keep his promises. And so he went to battle against King Henry III and defeated the king. And so for one year, everyone, even the king of England, had to do whatever Simon says. Now, it only lasted a year because King Henry was able to, to regroup and, and rebuild his forces and defeat Simon. But for a little while, even the king had to bow to the authority of Simon. And the passage that we look at today is a passage that proclaims to us the authority of Jesus. And yet, we, like those kids that play, Simon says, we, we would rather be in a position of power than a position of obedience. We don't want to have to obey. We want to be the ones giving commands. And so I'm okay playing the game of life as long as when God comes alongside, he essentially agrees with me. And so if God agrees with me, then I like to tell you what to do, and I want you to respond. I mean, really, you could kind of narrow the game down, not to, to Simon Says, but the way I would want to play it. You could call it Kevin Says. Kevin Says, do this, and I want you to do it. Now, it doesn't have quite the, the alliterative ring as Simon Says or Sammy Says or Sidney Says, but, but the way I live would be Kevin Says. And so when I read a passage like this, when Jesus steps onto the scene and his authority is on full display, it's a challenge to me. It's a challenge to each of us because as Mark proclaims the good news of the gospel, he is showing us the power, the authority. He's showing us Jesus is the king who must be obeyed. And so as we walk with Jesus through this day, this Sabbath day, this day in the life of Jesus, I want us to see Jesus' authority over the Sabbath, his authority in the Scriptures, his authority over Satan, his authority over sickness. Notice in verse 21, you can look there with me, the, the events as they take place. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. Now, we're told where this takes place. It takes place in Capernaum, a, a town, a village, perhaps even an important city at this point. It had a, a Roman legion stationed there. It had a, a tax collector. And so it was a city perhaps as, of as many as 10,000 people, a prominent place. And it's really in the Gospels the, the home of Jesus, the home base, the, the starting point for his ministry here in Galilee. And so what does Jesus do? 
When the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The Sabbath is the pattern God has given us. It's the pattern of life. God created the heavens and the earth in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. And so he gave that as a pattern to his people. Six days you shall work. It's one of the Ten Commandments. But on the Sabbath day, you are to, to set that day aside as a day holy unto God, a day of worship and rest. And so we see that pattern in Jesus' life, that pattern that's rooted in creation, that when the Sabbath comes, you gather in worship, you rest, you, you serve others. And, and so we notice Jesus. He steps into the synagogue. He begins to teach. And Jesus, we see in, in this worship service, he, he both confirms the importance of the Sabbath, but then shows himself to be the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, we'll, we'll see in the Gospel of Mark, this will come up most clearly in chapter 3, when Jesus heals a man in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and the people say, oh, wait, you're not allowed to do that today because Jesus healing people, that counts as work. And so you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath, so you're not allowed to heal people. That'll be the explicit confrontation that takes place in chapter 3. But here in, in chapter 1, the, the, the disruption of this man who, who shrieks in the worship services is so great that nobody complains that Jesus silences him. But Jesus shows himself to be the Lord of the Sabbath by healing the, the demon-possessed man. Jesus, and, 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 in, and in one sense, this should challenge us. Yes, the pattern of being in worship on Sunday, which it's been switched from the seventh day of the week to the first day because of the resurrection of Jesus, since so we gather on the first day of the week to worship but that pattern should be part of your life, gathering and worship. But the events here should also challenge us to not presume upon our pattern of attendance. Because there are people in this worship service that are in desperate need, clearly people that aren't believers. There's a demon-possessed man in the worship service, and so just being here isn't enough. You need to actually submit yourself to the authority of the Lord. And we'll, we notice as the, as the day continues, not only does Jesus powerfully and miraculously heal this man here in the synagogue, but when he goes to Simon and Andrew's house, he's willing to heal Simon's mother-in-law on the Sabbath. Jesus has no qualms, no concerns about the work that it takes to rescue someone from sickness or from demon possession on a, on a Sabbath because he is the Lord of the Sabbath. I mean, the people themselves seem concerned about this. Look at verse 32. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. Now, there's a, a, a double time marker given to us here. That evening. I mean, the sentence would make perfect sense if you just said, that evening the people brought to Jesus. But, but Mark gives us the extra detail that it was after sunset. No, he's not just describing the, the beauty of the, the evening. He's actually giving us the marker that this is the end of the Sabbath. The Sabbath runs from sunset on Friday to sunset on Saturday. And so on that day, to, to even bring someone who was sick to Jesus, well, that might be work. You have to drag them there. You have to get them there, and we don't want to risk that. And so while the people are concerned about healing on the Sabbath, Jesus is not. He's willing to heal the, the mother-in-law of, of Simon. Jesus makes clear that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is meant for the good of humanity, a, a pattern of rest and of worship. But we notice when Jesus is in the, in the synagogue on the Sabbath that he also proves himself to be the one who has authority through the, through the Scriptures. Again, back to verse 21. When the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. Now look at verse 22. 
the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. And we don't actually have the content of the sermon. Mark is just summarizing for us the reaction of the people to the teaching of Jesus. Jesus would have stepped into the synagogue, unrolled the scrolls, read from the scriptures, and then announced to the people, this is what it means. And we hear it in the other gospels. We hear it later in this gospel, the ministry of Jesus. His teaching comes with an authority that, that doesn't merely point back to the work of the prophets. Yes, he, he will do that, even as we've seen already. The gospel writer has been willing to do that. He'll, he'll say, remember what Isaiah wrote. And so he'll say, on the authority of Isaiah, Mark will say. But when Jesus speaks, he'll say, Isaiah said, because the Lord said, and I am the Lord who stands before you and speaks. See, Jesus brings a different level of authority that comes with his teaching ministry. Because he is the, the God of the Scriptures who stands and speaks a message to them. It also means that Jesus' message is a message that should confront us and challenge us at times. Jesus doesn't just come alongside and agree with everything you already believe. He doesn't just come alongside and, and confirm everything you've already been doing in your life. No, when Jesus shows up, he actually, when, when, they, when the, the people recognize the authority of Jesus, it's because Jesus is pressing deeper Jesus is, is, is exposing greater sin in your life. I mean, think of the, the way Jesus comes. He doesn't come alongside to just verify everything you already believe. He actually comes alongside to confront you. He'll say in the other Gospels, well, you've heard it said don't murder. Well, I want to deal with your heart and with anger. You've heard it said don't, don't commit adultery, but I want to I look at your thoughts and the lust that, that, that resides within you. See, so when Jesus comes, he's going to press the, the truth of scriptures deep into people's lives because he is the Lord of the scriptures. And it's an authority that the people recognize. He speaks not like their teachers, but as one who had authority. And again, we see it repeated, the, the amazement of the people repeated in verse 27. The people are so amazed that they ask each other, what is this, a new teaching? And with authority, because Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is the Lord of the scriptures. And we see in the, the confrontation in the synagogue that Jesus is the Lord even over Satan, his authority even over demonic powers. I mean, it's the, 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 the chaos of this scene is one that, that you, had you been there, would surely have walked home talking about. Yes, the people recognize the authority of Jesus, but that wouldn't have been the discussion point in the worship service. I mean, you're a nice, polite Presbyterian, so it's rare that I ever get interrupted when speaking. But this is one of those moments when, when there is a, a cosmic confrontation, a supernatural fight that takes place. Because while Jesus is teaching, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? See, the demon sees the authority of Jesus. Have you come to destroy us? Now, it's actually a little bit, I mean, you can imagine how horribly frightening this scene would have been. Not just the, the fact that, that this man, probably somebody you knew in your community, your synagogue, stands up and starts screaming and shrieking, filled by a demon. But then he, he confronts Jesus, the one that you recognize having authority, and, and, and there's a battle about to take place. And then he says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I mean, the demon correctly identifies Jesus as God himself, as the Holy One standing in his midst. The demon recognizes the authority of Jesus. Have you come to destroy us? 
And even the plural that's used there is a little bit frightening, isn't it? Not just have you come to destroy me, but have you come to destroy us? The demonic forces, the, the plurality of demons arrayed against the, the, the world, the good world that God made. I mean, this is a dramatic moment that even the sleepiest listener would have been shaken up, shaken to, to, to pay attention. This is the, the thing you would have talked about on the way home. A demon-possessed man interrupted worship today, screaming. And yet, what takes place? Look at verse 25. Be quiet, Jesus, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. When confronted by the words of Jesus, this demon can do nothing but one last attempt to, to display his power, shaking this man, but he comes out of him. He obeys Jesus. He comes out with a shriek. I mean, this frightening scene would have, would have confirmed for the people, that's what we see in verse 27, would have confirmed for the people the authority which Jesus has. I mean, he's given a new teaching and with authority. And then look at the end of verse 27. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. Jesus is the Lord of all history. Jesus is the Lord over even the, the satanic forces. And yet, as, as modern people, as 21st century people, it, it's, it's these kinds of moments that, that tempt us to just set aside the, the Word of God as, well, this must be a fairy tale. It must be a fable. I mean, who could believe this kind of scene? I mean, this is the, this is the way simple ancient people would have, would have worked, but, but we're obviously more sophisticated than that. And so we would look at, perhaps culturally today, we might look at somebody who believes in the supernatural and say, well, I think that person's a little narrow-minded. I think that person's a little backwards in his thinking. But really, let, let, me, let me challenge you a little bit. Which is the more open-minded position? The one that says, well, I've never actually seen this kind of thing take place. Therefore, it can't take place. Or the position that humbly says, maybe there is some truth to this. I mean, which is the, the more open-minded position? The one that says, well, there, there is no possibility of, of, a, of a supernatural world because I wouldn't be able to see it or observe it. I wouldn't be able to, to touch it or taste it. I wouldn't be able to test it. Therefore, I'll just define it away. Is that more open-minded than the posture that says, you know what, it's a big world. And there's a lot that I don't fully understand, and so maybe I actually need to listen to someone else's authority. See, I, I think that if we're humble enough to, to consider our own, our own position in the world, if we're humble enough to consider our own limited knowledge, then we would actually see that, that accepting the reality of a supernatural world is the more open-minded position. It's a position that's willing to trust someone else's authority, and so here we see Jesus in this confrontation with Satan, with one of Satan's demons, and Jesus wins. And, and notice how he does it. He tells the demon, be quiet, come out of him. There's no hocus pocus. There are no incantations. There's no mixing of potion. There's no wand to be waved. Jesus simply speaks, and the demon must obey. Jesus has that authority because Jesus is, as the demon acknowledges, the Holy One of God. I mean, the demon has his theology correct. He understands the confrontation that takes place, but, but the sad part here is 
there is no faith on the part of a demon. It's not just enough to declare that Jesus is the Holy One of God. You actually have to believe it and trust in it. You have to, you have to claim it for yourself. It's not enough to, to declare that Jesus is a Lord, a Master. You have to say Jesus, and you have to even say more than Jesus is the Lord. You have to say He is my Lord. You cry out with the, the apostles, He is my Lord and my God. You have to lay claim, make this personal. And that's actually what happens. Jesus shows us his personal interaction with Simon's mother-in-law. We see the, the public, powerful confrontation in the synagogue. Everybody witnesses this throwdown, knockout match, and Jesus easily wins. But then we walk with Jesus out of the synagogue. We go to the home of Simon and Andrew, and we are introduced to Simon's mother-in-law. We're told that she's in bed with a fever. And so the disciples, his followers, tell Jesus about her. And then look at Jesus' response. Look at the, the personal response, the compassion of Jesus in verse 31. So Jesus went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. I mean, Jesus is, is willing to throw it down with demons, but he's also willing to walk into a, a sick woman's room and lift her from sickness. Jesus has authority over sickness. He walks in, he takes her by the hand, this personal, private moment, this moment of compassion, and Jesus lifts her up from the bed. And even the detail that, that we're given, that the fever left her and she began to wait on them, that's, that's not kind of putting her in her place in the, in the kitchen. No, this is a recognition that, that it's not as if Jesus just walked in and the fever broke and she'll need a few days to recover. No, she's miraculously recovered so that she can begin to, to serve and love others that she can fulfill her purpose in her family, that she can be part of the ministry and mission of Jesus. Jesus has power over sickness. Jesus is the Lord of the crises of life. Jesus is the Lord in the, the crises of your life, the big public crises, the small, private, personal moments. Jesus is Lord. And even as we wrestle with this question of of sickness and sorrow. Even as we wrestle with the, the questions about Jesus' power over demons, we, we see that this is part of Jesus' ministry. We see that Jesus is with us even in the midst of our suffering. Look at, look at the description, that after sunset, that moment in time which we've recognized the Sabbath is now over, and so the people are, are, are flooding to the house of Jesus, flooding to the house where he's in. And we're, we're told by, by Mark in verse 33, the whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He drove out many demons. I mean, Jesus' ministry is to push back the kingdom of darkness. Jesus' kingdom will gain ultimate victory, and, and the city of Capernaum is getting to see it, a glimpse of what Jesus' kingdom looks like. Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus, the Lord of the Scriptures. Jesus, the Lord over Satan. Jesus, the Lord over sickness, is showing us what his kingdom looks like. And it's the word of hope and comfort that we need in our crises, in our moments of sorrow and sadness, in our times of sickness, for we too have loved ones in bed that are sick. We too see the brokenness in our, our culture and society. We see the brokenness in our gathered corporate worship. We see the brokenness all around us, and so we need a Savior who will step in, one who has real authority, one who understands our suffering, who is compassionate toward us. But notice in the in the Gospels, that Jesus does more than come alongside and take our hands. Yes, he is willing to do that. But Jesus does more than that. He actually suffers in our place. 
He takes our sin, our suffering upon himself on the cross. He will describe his ministry later in the gospel. Jesus describes himself as the Son of Man. He says, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus says, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus, yes, confronts the the demons in Capernaum. Jesus heals the, the mothers of Capernaum. But Jesus walks in our place. Jesus suffered for us. It, it's a detail that, that's shown to us even in the, the passage that we read. When Jesus confronts the demon, he tells him to be quiet. And, the, and then there was that interesting note at the end of verse 34, where as Jesus is driving out demons, he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. And why the secrecy? And it's a, it's a theme that, that happens here at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. Why is Jesus quieting those the, the demons who would announce who he is. It's because the, the confrontation that takes place. They're trying to, to show who Jesus is so that the people will, will rally against Jesus. So that the people will see the claims of Jesus and say, well, no, 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 that can't be. He can't be the Son of God. He can't be the Holy One of Israel. We should do something about this. And that's the path the gospel will take. People will respond to the authority of Jesus in anger and hatred. Jesus will be led to the cross because people will, un- will hear who he is and react against it. And so even here at the beginning of the, of the gospel, as this message is being, being proclaimed and shaped and told, Jesus is, is preventing the demons from, from creating greater conflict for him because the time had not yet come for him to go to the cross, but it is coming. We see it in the gospel. Jesus dies in the place of sinners. And so this passage, as this gospel as a whole does, challenges us to answer that question. Who is Jesus? We've walked with him. We see that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. We've, we, we heard the, the announcement of what happened in that synagogue. He is the Lord of the Scriptures. He is the Lord over Satan. He, we've been there in the, the room to see that he is the Lord over sickness. And so the question becomes, will Jesus, will you submit to his authority? Will Jesus have authority over you? Now, when you play the game of Simon Says with a group of kids, who do they all want to be? Every one of them clamors to be Simon, right? They want to give the commands. They don't want to receive the commands. That's the way your heart works as well. Whether you're six years old or 66 years old, your, your heart longs to be the one in control. We don't want to submit ourselves to the authority of another. We don't want to place ourselves under them because what if, they, what if in their, their subjection of us, they treat us wrongly? What if they harm us? And so we try and weasel our way out of the authority of others. And yet, here, there's one to whom we can submit ourselves without fear. The one who would walk into a a bedroom and lift a sick woman back up to health. One who will confront the demons. One who will confront your sin on the cross. See, when you submit yourself to the authority of Jesus, you submit yourself to a loving, gracious king. The one who will die for you. The king who died and rose again. The king who is bringing his kingdom, is pushing back the power of darkness. Will you submit yourself? to the authority of Jesus. Let me pray. Father, your word is a challenge to us. 
a challenge because we, we wrestle with, with your authority. We wrestle with the truths of Scripture. We, we wrestle with whether or not this can be truth proclaimed. And so, Lord, I pray that, that having heard your word, we, we, would now, we would now see it applied in our lives. Lord, that we who follow after Jesus, who, who claim to be disciples, who call ourselves Christians, Lord, that your authority would, would take hold in our lives. You would expose our sin, expose our selfishness. Lord, that you would help us to walk after Jesus, trusting in him. Lord, for those who are here who, who have not yet been able to acknowledge Jesus to be their Savior and Lord, I pray that even now, having heard your word as we pray, that your spirit would apply the gospel, the good news of what you have done, that your spirit would apply the gospel to the hearts of those gathered here. Lord, that you would give faith to them to believe, to submit themselves, to humble themselves and trust in Jesus. Lord, we thank you that Jesus is a good and gracious and loving king. So Lord, let us proclaim this hope in our community. Lord, let this hope flow through as we come giving praise in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.